Welcome to Central Coast Conversations, the podcast that will feature in-depth and engaging discussions with influencers and community leaders, as well as national and local hot topics that are being talked about by everyone, everywhere. Greetings, and welcome to the show. I'm Yvonne Thomas, and we have a great episode for you today. Joining me is Karen Murray, owner of Edison and Melrose Tea and Travel Retreats, based in Pacific Grove. You'll get a chance to meet Karen and hear about how this personal chef and cookbook author came to open one of the most unique establishments on the Central Coast. Coming up next, my conversation with entrepreneur Karen Murray. Good morning, Karen, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Yvonne. Thanks very much for inviting me. Absolutely. So, Karen, you're the owner of Edison and Melrose, and your website says it's the destination for all things tea and beautiful in Pacific Grove. It's listed as a tea and travel business. Can you tell us exactly what is Edison and Melrose? So today, Edison and Melrose Tea and Retreats is a as we say, a destination business to help bring people to our beautiful peninsula, um, primarily Pacific Grove, which is where I'm based. And the idea is really for tea lovers, people that love tea. I don't have an actual tea room anymore. And so I created this concept. It allows people to enjoy the views of the peninsula, having tea along the coastline. We set up picnic areas by the beach. Um, we also come to your hotel stay or your vacation uh, vacation rental and can set up tea there as well. So it's a mobile tea business. And then for the staycationers, for those that actually live here in Pacific Grove, I do events in their homes, at their churches, in their gardens, and we celebrate. And so it could be for a birthday, anniversary, or a surprise gift, lots of birthday um, parties, as well as showers for baby showers and bridal showers too. Such an interesting concept for a business. How did you come up with the name for your business? Um, Does it have a special meaning to you? It does. So um, we lost our dad in 2001, and I used to have a personal chef business then. And I changed the name in 2001 in honor of my dad. And it um, allowed me to encompass catering and doing events. Back then, I was doing personal chefing, so I'd go into someone's home and personal chef. And so I was thinking of how I could be different. The Yellow Pages was a big thing back then in 2001. Mm -hmm. And I went through there looking at names of caterers and all the caterers, and there were many. And I wondered how I could set myself apart. So gave it some thought, and I thought, well, I love tea. And I didn't see anyone focused on tea, and I'm from England. And so I decided tea would be my little niche market. So then I set about trying to think of a name. And at 2 a.m. in the morning, I woke my husband up to tell him, I've got a name. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in honor of my dad. And my mom's almost 92 today. Um, so it's my parents' middle names. My dad's middle name, Edison, and my mom's middle name, Melrose. Love it. Absolutely love it. And we can tell by your accent, and you just mentioned. So where exactly are you originally from? So I'm from what's called the West Midlands, or otherwise known as Sandwell in England. It's um, about three miles from Birmingham, England, which is uh, England's second largest city. A lot of people aren't aware of Birmingham, although they did host the Commonwealth Games last year. So that put them on the worldly map. 
And uh, so an old industrial part of England, Birmingham is. Okay, so tell us about your journey from England to the Monterey Peninsula. How did that happen? So I first arrived here in 1986. My sister, who also lives on the peninsula, Liz, she had met and married her first husband, and he happened to be a military guy, and he was stationed here at Fort Ord. So when they met, he was actually in Germany. And then after they got married, he got stationed at Fort Ord. So she suddenly was leaving. And after I finished chef school, I came on a six-week holiday to visit, which in the long run has turned into 30-something years <laughs> in North America. I have lived in Canada since then as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you miss living in England? I do, uh, but thankfully I'm very connected. I'm you know, staying in touch with all my family on a regular daily basis. So I still feel as though I'm there in some aspects. And I get to go, you know, usually once every two years, sometimes a little bit more often. And my work also sort of keeps me connected with England in terms of serving tea and everything else. So I I miss it, but I um I feel connected. So I don't feel distraught from missing. <laughs> okay. That, yes. that that's great. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have passions. Um, Yours is for tea. And how exactly did you turn your passion into a business? So um, just like I was saying, it sort of started with that finding my niche market. I'd enjoyed tea and um, wanted to do something different for the area, offer a different service than just regular catering that we have. And so it, it sort of built upon that concept of wanting to create something that didn't exist in that area. And then using my own ideas, one of my brothers lives in southern England in Cornwall, which is sort of the home of the cream tea and Devonshire cream. And uh, going to visit them in that area, I, I always have kept that idea in the back of my mind of a really tiny tea room, very small, almost like the size of a closet, and steaming windows from a rainy day and big scones and pots of tea. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of my vision that I've had when I've had my tea rooms was to create that ambiance. And it's the same vision that I have now, except now it's a new creation because now it's putting the teas outside and setting them up along our coastline here in Pacific Grove. Mm-hmm. So that's something new that's come about. So, okay. yeah, it's forever evolving. <laughs> and that was actually one of my questions in terms of your demographics. Who do you market your business to and how do you advertise? How do you find people that want to come have tea with you? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, again, that's changed over the years because it's been over 20 years since I've been in this tea business. And my my main market are tea lovers, so tea lovers all over the world. And initially when I started, um, you know, we didn't have social media 20 years ago the way we do now. Right. I do little ads in the paper. I do a lot of um, donations to local school events and local events as a way to advertise in an affordable fashion because it's always expensive to do an mm-hmm. ad in print. And word of mouth, I do the best job I could so that people would tell their friends and people that attended events would want my cards and want to do business. And that's still today is my best form of business is just doing the best job I can so it sells itself. And then now we have the added bonus of social media. No, absolutely. And you and I met last summer where we were asked to model in a charity fashion show for the Hospice uh, Foundation. And when you were telling me about your business there, it's just such an interesting and unique idea. That's why I wanted to have you come on the podcast so that we can let more people know about you because it's such a unique business. Thank you. Okay. 
I also read that you are a personal chef and cookbook author. So you're obviously passionate about food. Can you tell us about some of your experiences as a personal chef? Do you, are you still a personal chef here or is that something you don't do anymore? So I've been personal chef in all of this time as well. Uh, it's how I initially started out before I created Edison and Melrose. I was Karen Ann's personal chef service. And I still have two of those clients today that I still cook for, but I don't advertise that I do that anymore because it's not where I want to be is mm-hmm. full front in the kitchen. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, personal chefing is something I've always loved. It's what got me to where I am today. Because again, I did a good job, which created that whole catering aspect and the need for that to grow into that. Um, and I love, you know, I love making all things. I love cooking soups and I love making pastries. And obviously baking scones is one of my fun things that I love to do. I make scones of all different flavors and types. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing pastries. My hands are naturally cold, so I make a real good pastry. <laughs> if you've got cold hands and you're listening out there, you're, you're on your way to making a real great pastry crust. That's one of the good keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, all, all in all, I, I trained as a classically trained chef in England, oxymoron back then because England's not known for its food it's known for everybody else's food that's moved to England yes (laughs) great curries even Mexican food today you know um but the chefs that taught us were a lot of European chefs as well so we were well trained by um French and Swiss pastry chefs our butcher teacher was English so good butchery skills as well Mm -hmm. so just an all-round classically trained chef is what I am that's found my little way of favorites where did you actually train? Did I trained that? at what's called today, it, back then it was called the Birmingham College of Food and Domestic Arts, mm-hmm. and today it's called University College Birmingham. Great place if you're ever in Birmingham. They have a wonderful um, trainee restaurant for restaurant servers doing silver service training, as well as chef training. So you can get a good five-course-plus meal at a discounted rate. And the school's huge. And since I've left, they now have a section where you can train to be a pub landlord. I think they have their own training pub mm-hmm. uh, there as well, as well as they train hotel managers of all sectors. So it's quite the place to visit if you ever get a chance to go. I've actually spent quite a bit of time in London. And as you mentioned, one of the things I didn't like was the food. <laughs> I had a really difficult time because I was actually there for six weeks one time right. on business. Yeah. And I was food challenged the entire time that I was there. I was in London. Yes. So fish and chips, mushy yes. peas does not constitute for any uh, green veggies. <laughs> I was I was not used to that. And then there were fast food establishments that like McDonald's and yes. Kentucky Fried Chicken and it didn't taste exactly like home. Right. So definitely. I was very food yes. challenged in my time in Definitely. <laughs> it's a different concept. And now I'd say it's a lot better than it was, but mainly because food from other countries have gone in there, right. great curries and everything else. If you love curry and Italian food. And yes. since I've last been there, I noticed there are more and more Mexican restaurants, which didn't exist when I was a kid. Wow. In, yeah. So, Big change. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how was your business, or was it at all, affected by COVID? Mm -hmm. A lot of small businesses had a lot of challenges over the past couple of years. Was yours affected? It was affected, and uh, it was sort of a positive effect in its own way. I had moved at the time from a tea location I had in Monterey 
to my new location at the time in Pacific Grove. Mm -hmm. And my concept when I moved was I used to make a granola that I created about 17 years ago called Karen Ann's Granola. You created it? I created it. Okay. Yeah, from teaching a class at my old kitchen that I had here in San City Uh and developed this recipe. And long story short on that was, um, you know, I made it, started selling it. The first place was at Grove Market in Pacific Grove. And then I got it into Whole Foods in Northern California. Mm -hmm. So then we started selling to the different Whole Foods locations. Um, And so what happened when I left the storefront in Monterey, I had been serving teas at the front, making granola on the side, and I wanted to spend more time making the granola. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to this smaller space in Pacific Grove where it had just a tiny little takeout area. And my plan was to make a lot of granola Mm -hmm. and serve less tea. Um, what happened was my tea customers saw the little space and they said, well, can we still have tea? (laughs) So I ended up serving, you know, a few customers in the front, which took away my time from making granola. When the pandemic hit, the pandemic was able to solidify the concept that I had moved there to practice in the first place, which Mm -hmm. was takeout teas. Okay. And so that was a real positive light that COVID had was it helped me get that takeout tea concept off the ground where people could come in and or not even come in I had a Dutch door so I'd put a table on the my side and I would have everyone pre-order over the phone and then they'd simply come and pick their order off of the table I didn't actually have to stand in front of them Mm -hmm. they could just come to the Dutch door so COVID helped make that a thing and when things became more relaxed and we didn't need masks I kept that concept of the takeout tea going um, and eventually a year ago, I sold that granola business. So that's why now I've created this whole mobile concept because I'm no longer making granola, but you can still purchase it out there. It's now owned by the full Irish and they're doing a great job and it's still available at Northern California Whole Foods markets. Whole Foods, Market, wonderful. And many okay. others. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. See, that's something new. I did not know. Yes. I'll be looking for that. For the <laughs> and lots of people ate cereal during COVID. So I stayed mm-hmm. real busy. I just worked on my own. Yeah. See, that's one thing um, of turning lemons into lemonade during COVID. There was mm-hmm. so much bad going on, but then it sort of changed a lot of business operations exactly. for a lot of people. Yes. And, like you said, it turned out to be a positive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. As a business owner, a lot of people have passions for a variety of things and they're like, this will be fun. I'll turn it into a business. And then you realize you actually have to be a business person. What advice would you give to anyone interested in following their dreams and becoming an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Take your time and, uh, you know, take your time and be prepared for anything. Um, It's good to have those dreams out there, but you also have to be realistic. It's expensive. California is a very expensive state to do business in. Um, So just be aware of that. I think we get misled because we see other people doing things and it looks easy. Right. And you think, well, I can do that too. And then you get into it and you don't realize what you've got into. So there's a lot of components. And if you're wanting to make cookies and sell them, it would be nice if it were that easy, but making cookies and selling them means you've got to get licenses, you've got to get insurance, you have to get, I can go on and on with the list of things. So educate yourself really well and do your research really well before you jump in at the deep end and get involved. Um, fortunately for me, I've been doing it long enough. I started my own business um, back in 1995 when I was living in Canada, mm-hmm. and that was just a small personal chef business back then. So I think 
doing it a while has helped because, you know, things were less expensive back then and laws change, regulations change. So it was easier. So as things became more difficult, I would just adjust and take on that next phase. Whereas I think today when you're getting involved, you've really got to make sure you're doing everything the proper way. The city taxes involved, you've got to pay your sales tax. There's just a lot to keep up with. So really find someone either to coach you or educate you, someone that knows what they're doing so that you get started off on the right foot would be my advice. No, absolutely. Agree with everything that you said. And I myself have been in business uh, for almost 25 years. And what I've learned is that surrounding yourself with people that are experts in areas that you aren't Um, My mistake when I started as a business owner was trying to do everything. And I'm not an expert at everything. I'm an expert at a few things, but I'm not an expert at everything. And so you got, you got to find people to help you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, One of my limitations was the marketing of my business where I was trying to do it all myself. And it's like someone told me, you've got to find someone that's an expert in this area that can get the name of your business out there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah, when I grew to have a staff, you know, and needed payroll, that was something I had no idea how to do. So, Mm -hmm. you know, hiring someone to do payroll out of your hands, you just do what they tell you. Exactly. (laughs) You know? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What do you love about living here on the Monterey Peninsula? Oh, I love the beauty of the place. I don't like the fog. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm in the midst of it right now. I I know how to get through the fog, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love the fact that we are here and it's it's quiet, but not too quiet. There's we're close proximity to other places. I'm a city girl, Mm -hmm. so I like busy places and lively places. And this is a quiet place for me to be, but I feel that I'm close to other places that are interesting as well right so i like the balance of being in a place that's easy to get around i like the accessibility of the area as well as the beauty of it yeah yeah this is home for me i was actually born and raised here my dad was in the military at fort ord yes and then i actually left here after high school and lived in los angeles for 30 years wow but i you don't appreciate the monterey peninsula as a kid and as you get Mm -hmm. older you come to appreciate it so much more, or I have. And I hear that from a lot of my friends that want to come back here. For sure. It's just, it's the most beautiful place in the world. Right. Yeah, I know for my son, who's a teen, and his friends, a lot of them, you know, there's not much going on. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to moving. Right. Right. And and good for them, because there's a whole world out there. Right. You know, and it's worth exploring. Yes. No, that was the whole problem. It was like, it's Mm -hmm. too quiet here. I want to go to the big city. So, I definitely went to the big city of Los right. Angeles exactly. and tried that out. And it's like, now I want to come back to something a little bit more quiet in my sure. older years. Definitely. Okay. Yes. Karen, is there anything else that you would like to share with my listeners today about Edison and Melrose or your experience as an entrepreneur? Um, I would like to share that I have, if you go online to www.edisonandmelrose.com, and the Edison is spelled with two Ds, not one, um, you'll see a list in there of upcoming retreat events that we have. Okay. Um, we've got one coming up in August. I think it's Sunday, August 6th, and that will be a really lovely collaboration with Denise Wendler from Aptos. She's a yoga instructor. Wow. And she'll be teaching yoga down at the beach, and then that will be followed by a vegan tea at the old St. Angela Inn where I do a lot of pop-up teas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's $50. And you can go online if you go to Instagram or onto my um, website, as I said, or on Facebook, you'll see advertise there and reach out to Diane. We also have a lovely um, farm 
retreat coming up in October, and that's at a farm, a ranch in uh, Salinas, and mm-hmm. that will be a morning hike followed by a farm-to-table tea. Okay. So lots of fun, different things going on. So do check out online social media as well as our website, the different things we have happening, and sign up. No, yeah. absolutely. I love yoga. I love tea. I love going to the beach. So I'm going to check it out myself. I may come join you on that. And thanks very much again for inviting me onto your podcast. No, absolutely. Thank you, Karen, so much for introducing the Monterey Peninsula, those that don't know, to Edison and Melrose. And we look forward to uh, visiting, going on to your website and hopefully bringing some more people to your tea retreats. So Cheers. thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you once again to Karen Murray for joining my podcast today. Shining the spotlight on a successful local Black business owner is always special, but especially this month and this week. Juneteenth is celebrated on June 19th to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the United States. The holiday was first celebrated in Texas, where on that date, slaves were declared free under the terms of the 1862 Emancipation Proclamation. Juneteenth is also referred to as Freedom Day, Emancipation Day, or this country's second Independence Day, and stands as an enduring symbol of Black American freedom. Now, when I was growing up, I didn't learn about Juneteenth in school, but my parents were both born and raised in the state of Texas, so I was educated at home about the significance of the day. Yet there are still so many right now who don't understand its importance. Although President Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, the news of freedom arrived slowly for many across this country. It's important to realize that there were no telephones, no internet, no tweets on social media in the 1860s. It took almost two years for that order to actually arrive by word of mouth in Texas. On June 19, 1865, Union General Gordon Granger issued an order in Galveston, Texas, informing all enslaved people that they were free. And from that day forward, Black communities in Texas started to gather each June 19th to celebrate this historic day that changed the lives of our ancestors and made it possible for people like me to have my own podcast and speak as a free person today. But what exactly did freedom look like in 1865? And more importantly, what does it look like now? One would hope that there has been a tremendous amount of progress in the past 158 years. But has there been? In 2021, Juneteenth was finally officially recognized as the 11th federal holiday in the nation. Thank you, Opal Lee. She is the 94-year-old activist who laced up her sneakers in 2016 and marched 1,400 miles to Washington, D.C. to ask President Barack Obama to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. Now, have you noticed the irony of America making Juneteenth a national holiday while at the same time banning people from teaching about it in schools? File that one away in the category of things that make you go, 
Hmm. Juneteenth is an opportunity for all people in this country to observe, recognize, and reflect on the history and contributions of Black excellence in the United States. But it's imperative that we acknowledge the very difficult and painful reminder of the violent history of these United States. That bloody chapter should not be hidden or erased, for it is an historical fact, and it should be used as a blueprint to combat present and future problems while simultaneously empowering communities with a lesson plan that will help us heal from those fatal errors. Yet there are still cities and states that won't allow our history to be taught in the school system. But you should all keep in mind, there's nothing to stop you from teaching it inside your own homes, like my parents did for me. Rest assured, we will never allow this history, our history, to be erased. Our ancestors have sacrificed way too much for us to throw in the towel now. These blatant attempts that turn back the clock on our progress will never go away. So we must turn up the heat and intensify our efforts to preserve and protect our history now more than ever. One major part of our constantly changing game plan is that we should not be competing with one another. Our superpower is in our strength when we come together. And there is room for everyone at the celebration. Let's use this as an opportunity to educate and not antagonize and instigate. We need to shrink the chasm, dividing all communities, and not act as a wedge that widens the gap. There will be numerous Juneteenth celebrations happening all over the United States this weekend. And however you choose to commemorate the day, just keep in mind that you and I may sometimes walk on different paths, but our destination is the same. We must continue the fight to ensure equal justice and to fulfill the promise of the Emancipation Proclamation and our Constitution. Many of our students in this nation are not learning this history. They don't learn about Juneteenth in their classrooms. We still have a very long road towards racial justice in the United States, and we cannot get there without acknowledging our nation's original sin of slavery. But I challenge you to let freedom ring to a different beat in 2023. We've seen enough empty gestures and widespread division, and I think we can all agree that the world would be a much better place if we would all stop looking for things that offend us and start looking for things that inspire us. Enjoy this wonderful celebration this weekend, and happy Juneteenth. Thank you for listening, and a very special thank you to Karen Murray, owner of Edison and Melrose Tea and Travel Retreats in Pacific Grove. For more information, please visit Karen's website at www.edisonandmelrose.com. This podcast releases every Friday with episodes featuring interviews with special guests, commentary, and my personal take on current events happening in this outrageous world we live in. We hope you'll join us next week. CCC with YT Podcast is executive produced by Yvonne Thomas. Theme music by Shayla the Artist. Oh, yeah.